All right, so uh, welcome back. Uh, those of you that have been gone, you missed, a, it was a great two weeks to be gone. We just got in here and got real sad together over the last couple of weeks. Uh, if you were with us, we, we did, uh, and, and maybe you saw us on the, on the worldwide internet. Um, that's not what it's called, but uh, we, we talked about lament. Everybody smile. We're not talking about lament this morning. We got all sad together. We talked about the Psalms of Lament. We wrote our own lament. We just got so emotional, and it was, it was wonderful. So uh, I appreciate you guys uh, walking through that with us. Um, it was really good. I, I appreciate you doing that. That was kind of a test. The, the spring break, break group was kind of a test pilot group. Never done, uh, written a Psalm of Lament uh, together, and we got to do that. So if you're wondering what all that is, you can just listen to the podcast the last two weeks. Bring your tissues. It's all sappy. No, I'm just kidding. All right, this, uh, they're all strange, aren't they? I always start, I feel like I always start new series with like, this one's going to be a little stranger. You know, it's like, okay, well, they all are. So uh, I just need to probably just stop saying that. Here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to do. Um, it probably won't end when it's supposed to. Um, so just know that before. So you might want to plan on staying this summer because um, hopefully we'll get into it and you guys just need to change your summer plans. But I don't think I'm going to be able to end in seven weeks. Did you know that we only have seven weeks left together? That's an armor bearer that got the most excited in the room. Okay, we're doing something wrong. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, we have seven weeks left together before, uh, before summer. That's seven weeks. I'm counting today, and I'm counting May the 7th. So that's the is – that, is May the 7th after you're done with finals? Okay, you're done. You start then the 8th. Monday the 8th, you start finals? Okay. Okay, then I'm counting it right because y'all all take off. It's like you get that last final done, and it's like. <laughs> so, so, um, we have seven weeks. So, here's what I'm going to endeavor to do in seven weeks. Um, and it's going to be sloppy because it's sloppy in my own life. I'm trying to figure it out in my own life. It, it just. Um, but what we're going to talk about, the, the heading is, and it's, it's this huge heading, so that's why it's not going to happen in seven weeks. Life in the Spirit, okay? And some of y'all are like, seven weeks, he is totally missing it. <laughs> Life in the Spirit. Here's, here's why, um, so what I want to try to do today is I want to try to talk about why we need to talk about it. Um, because I, I, I really, um, I know that in, in my own life, I have felt this tension and feel it, I think, on a, pretty routine basis. Um, it, it's kind of cyclical for me, but, but feel the tension between what I believe Jesus has called me into in terms of life. What is it supposed to, what is it supposed to look like? What is it supposed to be like to follow him, to be a disciple, to be a son, to live in freedom? Like all these things that we, we know up here and, and the tension between that life and knowing that I'm supposed to exist kind of in that way and then what I'm actually in. Do you guys ever get in that tension? Kind of the, the, the tension between the, the vibrancy that you know is supposed to exist as a follower of Jesus and then, the, and then what you're actually in. And those two things kind of, they, they butt heads a little bit. And I, and I think that a lot of it for me has been that every time I get into one of those moments, every time I kind of hit that cycle, what God does is God teaches me something else about living in the kingdom. And when I learned that something else about living in the kingdom, and, I, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but recently it's been sonship. 
It's, it's, been, it's been about understanding the fact that in the kingdom, I'm a son and he's a father. Recently, that's kind of been the thing that has got me unstuck from that, that tension that I'm talking about. But it feels like every time I've come into one of those moments of tension, kind of going, is this really it? Is this really all that there is in being a Christian? Every time I've hit that point, God said, okay, here's something. And I say, God said, I'm, in a process, it's not like this moment, oh, where God says, Kindle, here's the, you know, it's like, but it's this process of God speaking to my heart and showing me something else, something deeper about living in the kingdom. And so I've been, I just kind of think back over years and years of my Christian life and, and really kind of started at a point in college um, and, and from a point in college has kind of continued till now where I feel like over and over God is teaching me to live in the kingdom. And to live in the kingdom, I got to live by the spirit. And so what I'm going to try to do is kind of walk us through some of those items, uh, some of those ideas, some of those paradigms that we need to understand in order to live in the kingdom. Now, I'll tell you this, this will not be a complete list. because There is far more on this list than I have yet come into contact with in my own life. And I'm going to teach you from what I'm in and have experienced and am even wrestling with uh, a little bit. There is far more for us to know and understand, but I'm, I'm just going to kind of walk through what I have experienced in my own life and what, what God is teaching me. Here's, here's where we have to start. I want you to think about, have you ever read this book? Just, I'm not being sarcastic. This is a wild book. Like, there's some crazy stuff in here. And if you start at the very, let me just kind of go, just, I'm going to go like super fast forward, okay? The beginning, Genesis, tells us the story of, of God creating. And if, if you just kind of just sit for a second and go, okay, I'm just going to let this, the scripture speak, you read of some really crazy ways that God does stuff. Like God's voice appears to be, is that, is that? me or is every time I take a breath, it's like thumping y'all in the chest. It is thumping. Okay. We're not bumping Lecrae right now. We're just listening to me. So we, all right. I just said bumping. Oh no. I am not that cool. I keep having to tell myself I'm not that cool. Don't try it. Don't try it. Just stay in the comfort zone, right? Don't step out. Step out of the, okay. Thank you. What was I saying? Okay. The word of God. <laughs> <laughs> the voice of God is powerful. Like God speaks and things happen. I mean, just Im- kind of imagine that that level of power and authority for a second of just opening, God opening his mouth, whatever that even looks like, but God opening his mouth and the sun. God speaking to the water and waters like oceans moving and land rising up. I mean, this is what, this is what Genesis talks about. And God with his hands forming a human. You ever mess with Play-Doh before? It always looks wacky, right? You try to make somebody out of Play-Doh, it's never going to look good. God forms a human out of the dust of the ground. And then with that same air that produced creation in the sun, God gets intimately close with man and blows that air from God's lungs into Adam. This, and then Adam becomes alive by the Spirit of God that's now entered into his lungs. And now Adam's breathing. And then God takes out of Adam like this 
crazy surgery. He pulls out of Adam another person. Y'all ever like, like the dust from the ground thing was legit, but like another person, right, comes from Adam's rib and God fashions Eve and puts them together. And then there's this relationship where God is present. God is present with them and it's normal to them, right? It's normal for the presence of God, not in this like spooky way, but as you and I are in the same room, it was normal for them and God to be in the same room, for God to just exist with them. And then that relationship breaks. And we all, we all know this story. That relationship breaks with the, the temptation of, uh, of Eve by the servant. And Eve gives the fruit to, to Adam. And, it, and, it, and then the whole human race kind of shifts from that point as sin enters the world. But here's the deal. But God doesn't leave. Like right after that, that same presence of God is in the garden pursuing Adam as they're hidden, right? They hide themselves. They do the fig leaf thing. They hide themselves. And then we, we read that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and he's calling out to them. And, and this relationship continues, and, and he kicks them out of the garden. And then humanity kind of starts to roll down the road and there's all sorts of crazy stuff that happens. God calls Abraham. God gets really close to Abraham and says, go, leave where you're at, and I'm going to make you a great nation. In you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. But he does it by talking to Abraham. He does it by being close with him. And then kind of things keep going down the line, and generations come, and Israel starts to rebel, and they end up in slavery in Egypt. And God says to Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. I'm missing like lots of chapters here, so you guys just catch up with me. But he says, I've heard the cries of the people and I'm coming. I'm coming. Now, Moses, you get to play a role, but I'm coming to set my people free. And God, the one that was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, sends Moses with this unbelievable just wrath of God and brings millions of people out of slavery for his namesake. And then they wander in the wilderness and God sets himself up in their midst, right? God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you. And they set up the tabernacle and God leads them by his presence. And he's intimately close. And he talks with Moses so close, so close that when Moses comes away from the conversation, people are afraid of Moses because his face is glowing. You guys ever read this stuff? He's that near. But the people just kind of check out a little bit, and and history kind of unfolds, and and they start to wander, and then they get split and taken over. But God keeps coming after them, and he sends prophets. He sends people to say, hey, listen, you're far from God. Come back. Why? Because God loves you. God has a purpose for you. Come back. And they kind of hear sometimes, and then most times they don't. They just kind of reject that, and then all of a sudden, boom, things fall silent. Now, that's the story. Okay, so that's like, you just did Old Testament 101. Like, that was super fast. That's the momentum. And then it's quiet. And then all of a sudden, you get this whack job dude named John the Baptist. He's what's called a Nazarite. They were the craziest people in Jewish culture. These are the people that had set, set themselves aside for the work of the Lord. He took what's called a Nazarite vow, meaning basically every breath of his lungs was for the Lord. And it looked funny. 
he looked and did what he did because of this Nazarite vow. Anyway, he starts saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is at hand. And then all of a sudden the scriptures right there, so we've had this silence, all of a sudden the scriptures right there take this hyper focus on one man. That one man is Jesus. So think about it. Again, think about the momentum of the scriptures. All of this story of God and what God is doing, of how God is relating with his people. It's history is just running forward, right? We have the creation of man all the way through. And then all of a sudden, scripture stops and the rest of it is about one man. And it all hinges on this, this hyper focus of one man. And here, here's, here's why we're talking about this today. Whatever it is that this, this, the Bible seems to portray about this one man, Jesus, this Messiah, Yeshua, here's what we've gotten out of it. So let's pause right there. So this hyper-focus on one man is the rest of the Bible. After we've heard all of that, and here's where we find ourselves. If you believe on that one man, you'll get to go to heaven when you die. Bonus, that means that your sin is forgiven. So you can kind of do whatever you want. But your sin is forgiven. And if you really want it to look good, you need to know most of what this says. Be able to, like when the preacher says the the name of the book that you're in, you need to be able to get there, like, sort of first. And don't sin. I think, now, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but I think I've done a pretty good job, and maybe you disagree, and but talk to me after, because it would be awkward if you did right now. But I think I've done a pretty good job summing up what we got out of this. Right? You guys experienced something different? I hope so. I didn't for a long time. That was, that was Christianity to me. Was, was that kind of that, that deal? You need to behave really well. You need to believe on Jesus. And here's how you, okay, okay, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. So how do I do that? Well, you got to believe on Jesus. Well, how do I do that? Well, pray a prayer. And then you just, you just got to repeat what that guy says. And then and pray a prayer. And that means you're saved and everything's forgiven. And if you mess up, that's okay because it's all forgiven anyway. But, but, but then you really need to focus on being really good. Because you're going to make some people look bad in the church if you don't look good. <laughs> now, that was and is, I think, look, and I'm not, I'm, I am, just full disclosure, I am being sarcastic, okay? But I think that we can find that in a lot of places. And I'm just wondering, is that really the momentum of this? Is that really where we were coming to? Is that really what the momentum of this book was coming to? Was the gospel of sin management? I mean, God interacts with man all throughout here. Promises some pretty wild stuff, does some pretty incredible things, and all of a sudden the scripture zooms in on this Jesus, calls us to him so that we can behave really, really, really well until we enter into this eternal existence we call heaven. That is lame and boring and not biblical. 
So here's what I'm saying. The reason we need to talk about this is because if we're living that way, we're missing it. If that's the reality of life that you've received from Jesus, then you have not met him. And I'm not, be, I'm not, listen, I'm not being condescending, okay? Hear me. I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not standing here and questioning your salvation. Don't do that because some of you just got really offended. Like, well, hey, don't tell me the Jesus I know, okay? I'm not, I'm not. Don't, but just listen. Do you really believe that, that what God has given us in Christ, if he is what this book says that he is, do you really believe it's as lame as we've preached? Do you really believe it's as weak and as powerless and as dull and mundane as the gospel of sin management that we've preached, which is behave really well and you'll enter into this eternal existence we call heaven? Is that the gospel? We dress, up, we dress it up real nice, too. We can say some really big words around it. That's not the gospel. That's called justification. Right? We can get all Christian about it, can't we? We dress it up. We get really smart about it. We get really intellectual about it. But at the end of the day, here's the question. Is the substance and the person of Jesus alive on the inside of you? Are you, are you alive? Or are you just pretending until you get to heaven? Are we really alive? Are we really experiencing the life of God on the inside of us? Let me ask you this way. Is who you are, the substance of who you are, is it, has it been totally and completely changed? Is it being changed? Are you free? Really, are you free? Not do I know I'm supposed to be. We all sing that song and it's like, if we were to sing honestly to our heart, sometimes I think we would say, I think I'm supposed to be free. Because what I'm asking you is, are you living free? If it's for freedom that you've been set free, we ought to have some idea of what freedom really is. Are you free? I'm not, I feel like I need to challenge where we are in order to tell us where we could be. So I'm not, look, don't don't get frustrated with me. Please hang in there. I'm done. (laughs) But I just want to tell you, I... I believe, and it's and it's raw, and it, I can't explain all of it. And but the, I, I promise you, it's better than the gospel of sin management. If it's not, we need to throw this out. If that's really what the Bible promises, the gospel of sin management, then this this book has a lot of lies in it, and I don't believe that it does. I believe that the substance of what we've been given in Christ Jesus is so much more than behave really good until you die. Amen. And I believe this book testifies to that truth. And we're going to discover it. And it'll be a little messy, all right? So let's, let's try and start. John chapter 3. Y'all okay? I like to step on everybody's toes right before we start a series. And then if you stick around, that's good. <laughs> that's the idea. 
All right. So here's just some here's just some things that uh, that I think we need to, we're going to try and come against or we're going to try and understand because some of the some of the things that I, that are part of the gospel of sin management are true but they're just like half truth. You know what I'm saying? We is it true that we've been forgiven of sin? Yeah, we better hope so. Okay. But the the point is, but we're not seeing the fullness of that truth and the context in which we're forgiven of our sin. Does that make sense? We see the forgiveness of sin as the only thing that happened on the cross. And so we see forgiveness of sin as the ultimate thing which happened on the cross. And the forgiveness of sin is a huge, huge deal, but it is in the context of a bigger thing. I know that's hard to even imagine that, that there's something bigger than forgiveness of sin, but it has context, and that's what we need to see. That's what I mean. We're living in kind of half-truth because we haven't seen the context of how big it really, really, really is. We talk about heaven and hell as ultimate destinies. I don't think that's biblical. We talk about the amount of sin in our life being equal with righteousness. Where we get this behavioral management thing is that sin equals righteousness. And so to be righteous, I've got to be, I, I can't sin very much. So behave. You hear me? Behave. And that's righteousness, okay? That's not in the Bible. We, uh, we see Jesus as kind of the token for that salvation, for that forgiveness of sin, not as a person, not as God. He's kind of this distant creature that if we say the right things, he'll kind of wave the wand and our sin will be forgiven. That's not what he even said that he was. So we need to go after that. And we, we still, I think, believe that we, uh, we still believe that we're going to die. This is problematic. I think we still believe, will you go to heaven when you die? Most of us will say yes. But here's a problem. I just said when you die. What happened to that eternal life thing? What happened to that life now thing that Jesus is talking about? Are you living life eternal now or is that to come? We still believe that there's kind of this existence and then we die and then come the good things that Jesus promised, this thing called heaven. It's not how Jesus spoke about heaven, okay? So we're, if you're a little uncomfortable, that's okay. We're going to get into some of these, some of these topics. That's what, we, that's what we want to go after. All right, so here's the deal. I think one of the best places to see this whole conversation is in John chapter 3. So let's get a little context here, and then we'll jump in. Everybody okay? You feeling good? All right. There we go. Man, I don't, okay. That's what I'm talking about. Good. Okay, there's a man uh, of the Pharisees. Now, this guy's name is, is Nicodemus, and he's going to come, and he's going he's gonna to speak to Jesus a little bit. Um, and he's going to ask him some really interesting questions. So I just, now, a few things we're going to have to do. We're going to have to first understand the context in which Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. But really what I want to see um, is the, so we're going to read a lot. So we're going to read 21 verses, okay? Some of our favorite verses, well, our, our very favorite verse for the gospel of sin management is in here. So we're going to go after that first, okay? And we're going to see what context it lives in. Okay, now was there, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, 
Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So a couple things about Nicodemus. Number one, that we know he's, we know he's a Pharisee because it says he's a Pharisee. Okay, good. I didn't trick you there. Okay, it says he's a Pharisee. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's educated. Um, so he knows, look, if he's a Pharisee, how many of you know that the Pharisees knew their Torah? Okay, they know, they know this part of the book. Okay, uh, really, 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 really well. Here's, what, here's his issue, what he's seen. If you read back in chapter 2 uh, and, and, and beyond, he's seen Jesus do some things that he's kind of going, wait a minute. Something's happening here, and I, I'm, I'm curious. We don't know whether he came to Jesus by night because he was afraid, because he was a Pharisee. We don't know if it was maybe he had some, he was being drawn to Jesus, but that wasn't really going to be acceptable to other Pharisees, and so he came by night. Uh, or rather, he just wanted uh, some private time, like some time where he could sit down without the crowds and actually have a conversation. It doesn't, the Bible doesn't tell us, but we know that he came by night. He acknowledges Jesus as rabbi, so he not acknowledges some authority, certainly scriptural authority that Jesus would have. And he says that we know you're a teacher come from God, and he acknowledges that the things that Jesus is doing, the signs, as he says, that no one could do except for from God. And Jesus immediately stops him in his tracks. Now listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the what? Kingdom of God. There's a whole lot there. What is Nicodemus coming and asking Jesus about? He's asking him about the things that he's doing. And Jesus immediately stops him and says, you're seeing, but you're not really seeing. You're seeing a part of what's happening, meaning you're seeing the physical manifestation of the things that are happening. You're observing, but you're not seeing, okay? And he pushes him and he says, because no one can see the kingdom of God. I'm going backwards. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. We've heard that before. You guys have probably heard that terminology of being born again, right? Some people, like, want to be creative on their Facebook. If I'm hitting you, I'm sorry, but they want to be creative on their Facebook. So instead of saying Christian, they'll say I'm born again because that's better than being a Christian. <laughs> I don't know. I've just seen that before. Well, it's like born again, Christ follower. <laughs> I don't know why we think we know. Anyway, this is funny. <laughs> I'm sorry. Lindsay's back there like, didn't say that. You should stop doing that. <laughs> okay, so uh, he says, listen to this. So I want you to connect the dots. So he says, responding to Nicodemus's observance of things that are happening because of the kingdom. So Nicodemus is seeing the miraculous. He says, unless you're born again, you cannot See the kingdom of heaven. So Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot, what's the word here? Enter the kingdom of God. So there's entering the kingdom of God that relates to seeing the kingdom of God which relates to understanding the things that my 
five senses are observing. So I can observe with my eyes, and I may not see. And that's what he's telling Nicodemus. You're seeing with your eyes. Your five senses are perceiving, but you're not seeing. To really see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And to be born again is to enter into the kingdom of God in order to see. So, he says, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. So now he's describing this new birth. Now, there's a lot of different ideas. Scholars have a lot of different ideas on what the water portion means. The, the consensus, and the, what, I, what I feel like is the, is the best representation of this conversation, because remember, he's having a conversation with the Jewish man who would know the law, is from Ezekiel chapter 36, which is the promise of God to his people, where God says, I'm going to, and you can go there at another time, but God says, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all uncleanness. I will take this, this heart of stone, I'll remove it, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and my commandments. This is the promise to Israel in the 36th chapter of Ezekiel. And Jesus comes to Nicodemus then, who knows this well, and says, unless you're born of this water, unless this cleansing from God happens, see in that forgiveness of sin. See in that cleansing which comes from Christ. You with me? So we've seen one of our things that comes in the gospel of sin management, right? The thing that we like to talk about a lot, the forgiveness of sin. It's in here, but what is its context? Its context is second birth to enter into the kingdom of God. You with me? Y'all tracking? It's important that you see it because what we do a lot of times is we take that out of that context and we preach the gospel as the forgiveness of sin. Jesus speaks of cleansing and the forgiveness of sin directly from Ezekiel in the context of the kingdom of God, in the context of entering into the kingdom of God via second birth. So there's one of our checks on the list. We've got to remember, we're wanting to see these things in context. Okay. So he says, truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the capital S spirit, who do we know this is speaking of? The Holy Spirit. So there is, so new birth, and remember he's, he's answering Nicodemus' question about can a man be born again by entering into his mother's womb again? And Jesus says, no, 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 this is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is new birth, which comes in cleansing from God and birth by the Spirit. This is a spiritual transaction. It is the fulfillment of what God promised that he would do in me. But we're going to get there. He says, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. But this being born again of water and the Spirit provides what? Entrance into something. Come on. The kingdom of God. The very same kingdom that John said repent because it's at hand. Jesus came with something bigger than forgiveness of sin. Jesus came with something bigger than the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I know that's weird to even say out loud. I'm going to say some things that are going to be weird to say out loud. (laughs) Those things are true because Jesus came with an invitation for us to come into the kingdom. You with me? Y'all with me? Jesus came. The gospel is an invitation into the kingdom. We don't hear it that way very often. We don't speak of it that way very often. 
But Jesus says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, being born again is entrance into the kingdom. And to enter in is what allows you to see. Okay, so he says, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. I'm going to be pushed on time here. Let's, let's move on. Okay. Nicodemus said to him, how, uh, how can these things be? Jesus answered him. Now, understand that part of Nicodemus' questioning comes from the fact that he's a Jew. And so he's, he's believing and wondering, uh, sorry, he's wondering why this would have to happen. Because in some way, the, the uh, Jews alive in Jesus' day kind of already saw the regathering of Israel taking place in the return to the promised land from Babylon. And so they're not thinking that that needs to happen. They're not thinking that this great gathering of the nations needs to, needs to happen. And so part of his questioning is basically, well, why does this have to happen? This is already happening. Why do I have to be, what, how can this be? This is something you've already done. But listen to what Jesus says. I hope I didn't just confuse. I'm trying to give better context. Jesus answered him, are you not the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I, told you, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except for he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now, here's one of those other ones, right? Catchphrase, there it is, eternal life. Ding, ding. We know that one, right? And there it is, right? Whoever believes in him will have eternal life. See, I told you, gospel of sin, man, there it is. We got it proven. What does he say this in the context of? A conversation about entrance into the kingdom. He's teaching Nicodemus heavenly things, and he's showing Nicodemus. Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can this this new birth be required? How can this entrance into the kingdom, how can it be? And Jesus says, he brings it all the way back in the Old Testament. He places himself right back into the story of Moses lifting up the, the bronze serpent in the wilderness. You guys remember this story? It's a weird one. The first time you read it, it's like, why are they worshiping a snake? That just feels wrong. Y'all tracking the story? And God says if, they, if they'll just come to this snake and bow down before this, this bronze serpent that's lifted up on a pole, then, then they'll be healed. And, man, the first time I read that story, I was like, this feels wrong. Bronze is the color. It's the, it's the metal that, that speaks of judgment because of the way that bronze is created. It goes through fire and, and refining as judgment. Every time the Bible speaks of bronze, the Bible speaking of judgment. He raises this serpent up. The bronze serpent is sin judged. The serpent is the enemy. And, and the place where sin is judged is where? Oh, no. <laughs> where is sin judged? Calvary. <laughs> the cross. It's a picture of Jesus. And Jesus says it right here. He said, okay, okay, guys. Maybe I just asked the wrong question because I know you all know about Jesus on the cross. Okay, so... And Moses was lifted up, like, look, 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 don't, don't, sorry, I just, I made an inappropriate joke. Here we go. And Moses lifted up on, 
uh, lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have this eternal life. What's he telling Nicodemus? He's telling him about the action that he's going to take to bring people into the kingdom, to give this new birth that they might see and really see and know what the kingdom of heaven is to experience it as a tangible reality in their world. And he's saying the Son of Man must be lifted up in order for this to happen. So here it is. We've checked it off the list. Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, Jesus on the cross, all of these things, but not separated, all in the context of being invited into the kingdom. Do you know that you've been invited into the kingdom of God? Do you know that the kingdom that we were displaced from in the garden has been made available to us by the cross of Jesus? And the kingdom is so much bigger than just your sin being forgiven. The kingdom is so much better than that. The kingdom is so much better than eternal life someday. The kingdom is life now. Freedom today, right now, the kingdom is in our midst. The kingdom is available to you. And what does Jesus say? You have to come in by second birth. And for for second birth to be possible, you have to believe on the Son who will be lifted up where, where the place where evil and sin is judged. You must believe on the Son of Man. And if you believe on the Son of Man that you enter into, and he equates being in the kingdom with this thing called eternal life. You know, with me? That's different than eternal life being someday. Jesus apparently believes that coming into the kingdom is eternal life. Y'all see the difference? Because we're offering people on the streets, man, we're, we're offering people life someday. What would be different if we offered them life now? Do you know that you can be alive right now? Right where you're at. Right in the exact spot that you're at. The kingdom of God is present. And, in, and, and Jesus allows you to step into that kingdom. And be alive. Not just someday. So he says, now again, here comes our verse, right? Remember the context. For God so, what's the word? Love. Here's the love of God. He just talks about the work of Jesus. Okay, then I'm going I'm to be done. He just talks about the work that Jesus is going to do in order that we may come into eternal life, come into the kingdom. And then he says, and this, where does this come from? For God so loved the world that he gave this son that verse 15, I'm sorry, 14 spoke about, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Here's the deal. Is belief in Jesus important? Don't throw that one out. <laughs> but again, what's the context? What is Jesus offering? Believe on me, come to me, because I'm the one that's made the kingdom available. You with me? There's no one else that's made the kingdom available. Because there's no one else that could forgive us of our sin. There's no one else that could take on himself the body of sin. There's no one else. There is no other name on heaven and earth by which we are saved. You with me? Because salvation is not forgiveness of sin. Salvation is entrance into the kingdom. Salvation is eternal life. Y'all with me? And it's what Jesus offers. And where does it come from? The love of God. 
It is the love of God that has created this opportunity for us to be restored in relationship with him, to come into the kingdom. Now, here's the deal. That's just the beginning. We're not even saved yet. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let me back up. You just heard that like, he, did he just tell me I'm not saved yet? No, I'm just saying that's the, that's the preaching of the entrance, friends. That's entering into the kingdom. How much better is it going to get once we step in? Because what he's telling Nicodemus is, man, if you just come in, you'll see what's really happening. You, you, you don't even understand. You can't even see. You're like seeing getting people healed. You're seeing water and wine kind of flipping places, molecules getting rearranged, and dead people coming out of the grave. But what if you could see what was really happening? What if you could see like I see? What if you could participate in the kingdom? Man, the kingdom's pretty cool to observe, but what if you got to come in? Y'all with me? And what Christ is offering, what the Messiah has come to do is to bring us in. That is salvation. And guess what? We get to experience eternal life in salvation. Some of you have never heard that before. You've heard it up here. You've heard it from a platform before, but you've never, you've, you've never experienced the substance of being alive in the kingdom. And it's a good kingdom to be alive in. Yeah? So what we're going to talk about, what we have to now start to unfold is, so the series, I don't know if series, I'm not really good at those kind of things, because that means you have to have a start and an end point and a really good title, and I'm always bad at all that stuff. I'm calling it life in the spirit, because he says be born again by water in the spirit. And so life in the spirit constitutes life in the kingdom. And we're just going to look at what does that look like? If that's the gospel, then what does it look like for us as we step into it? And that's what we need to, we need to discover. Uh, because I think it's way more vibrant than maybe we give it credit for. Fair? Okay, let's pray. And we're going to pray fast. God, help us to understand these things by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, see you guys later.